You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Plan for 2020, but God's plan will prevail. If He is for us, who or what could be against us? So if that's you right now, if you're just saying, yeah, that's me, I felt like I got this position stripped away, I got laid, whatever the case was, and you want some encouragement from Jesus, I want you to just lift your hand. I'm not gonna bear, I just wanna pray for you if I know who that is. Father, thank you right now, right now, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you right now for each and every hand lifted. We break that discouragement in the name of Jesus. We bind that lie that said that you are your position. God's purpose is bigger than the position that you currently have. His purpose will prevail. Father, encourage your sons and your daughters in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, why don't we thank God that he's not done yet? Well, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna get into this thing, so why don't you punch your neighbor and tell him it's gonna be a good, it's gonna be a good day. It's gonna be a good day. It's gonna be a good day. Wow, wow, y'all are hitting hard. I said just lightly punch your neighbor. Worship, you guys were incredible this morning. Thank you so much. You guys can be dismissed. I will see y'all in a little bit. Uh, well, hey, y'all, I'm, my name is Alex. I know I haven't probably met uh, a lot of you yet, but I'm excited to be here in Salt Lake City with my beautiful wife, Tanae. And uh, she's this beautiful young lady on the front row. So sweet. And, uh, and so we're excited. We're here for three months. Guys, it snowed. How exciting is that? I thought that wasn't happening for another month. And then I wake up today and it was raining and then there was snow. It is, feels like Christmas already. I feel like we, we got a week or two of fall and then, you know, it's like already Christmas. So that's great. Um, but hey, uh, I honestly think that you guys have some of the best campus pastors on the planet. How many love Pastor Vince and Becca? Come on. Uh, and so I'm grateful to be in this pulpit today sharing in our series called We the People. This is our second week in this series, We the People. Uh, very patriotic, come on. Uh, and the reason we're going there uh, is not just because an election is around the corner. Obviously, that's happening. If you're not aware of that, you probably don't have a phone or a TV or a computer or go outside. Um, but the reason why we're going there is because Psalm 33, verse 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. And so the reality is our country was founded on biblical principles. Our country was uh, literally, the, the manuscript, the constitution was formed from biblical principles. And so we have to hold to that in order to actually see God's kingdom come, his will be done in Salt Lake City, in the United States of America, as it is in heaven. It doesn't just happen by accident. God just doesn't decide. He gives us our will. And if we choose to put in power people who do not abide by God's will and his ways and his word, well, guess what? We're not going to get his kingdom come. His will be done in this nation. And so uh, I really want to bring some context today. There's going to be some teaching today. Uh, it's going to be some, some encouragement today. But I want you to lean in and, and really have an open mind to what does God say about politics? What does God say about government? Because he actually is not in a box. Believe it or not, he doesn't just work on Sundays and Wednesdays or whatever day of the week that you, you come to church. He actually works everywhere, and he is with you everywhere you go, including the political sphere. And, uh, and what I found is, is, is kind of interesting is in the Old Testament, there were prophets, right? We all have kind of read of the different prophets. Elijah, Elijah looking good on the front row. Come on, <laughs> playing the violin today. I think you're single, so just FYI. 
he could be. I think he's single. You're single, right? Sort of. Not really. No, no, you're not. Joke. That was a test, and he passed. Whoever his beautiful girlfriend is, she, she, she saw you say no, so that was good. Let it be on record. That could have been bad, so I'm glad he's a man of integrity. You've got Jeremiah, who's a prophet of the Old Testament, and, and what I found is they have all these, these prophets, and they actually did less of like prophesying something that wasn't, and they actually did more of calling the nation back to what God has already said. These prophets were less progressive, and they were more conservative, if you know what I mean. And all that means is they were actually holding fast to what God said, because God said something hasn't changed his mind since he said it, just an FYI. Um, and the role of the church, and the reason why we're talking about this stuff is because we don't want to just give you a good word on Sunday to just go and not be applicable to every area of your life. Because God is involved in every area of your life, we want to talk about every area of your life. And right now, this is very important. And in general, whether it's an election year or not, it's very important for us to be engaged, and you'll see why. Um, so we're actually going to, um, there's, there's kind of this myth out there that the church should be separated from the state. Anybody heard that before? Like the separation of church and state? Uh, well, I want to bring a little education around that. So we're going to watch this video um, from PragerU. So we're going to play the video right now. Almost everyone has heard of the doctrine of the separation of church and state. Most Americans believe that it's in the United States Constitution. But there is no such phrase in the Constitution. What? And there never was. For a simple reason. The Founding Fathers never intended for church and state to be completely separate. They saw religion, specifically religions based on the Bible, as indispensable to the moral foundation of the nation they were creating. So where does that phrase come from? It comes from one brief letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association in 1802. At the end of a very long sentence in which Jefferson affirms his conviction that religious belief should be a private matter and that the government should not interfere with such matters, he uses the phrase, building a wall of separation between church and state. And that's where the phrase lived, undisturbed, lost in Jefferson's voluminous correspondence for almost 150 years. But more on that in a moment. First, let's discuss what the Constitution actually does say about religion and its role in public life. The answer is found in the First Amendment to the Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. It's plain Drop what those mic. words mean. The federal government could not establish a national religion, the common practice in Europe. The United States was going to be different. Americans would be free to follow the religion of their choice. When James Madison first proposed what eventually became the First Amendment, his original wording was that no religion shall be established by Congress. But that language was later modified after it was pointed out that this might be taken to mean that the government, including the state governments, had no interest in religion at all. The founders did not want this. As George Washington said in his farewell address, Religion and morality are indispensable supports of our political prosperity. Washington's view remained the nation's view throughout the 19th century and into the 20th, but that changed in 1947. In that year, in the case of Everson versus Board of Education, 
the Supreme Court ruled in a five to four decision that under the First Amendment, neither a state nor the federal government could pass laws which aid one religion, aid all religions, or prefer one religion over another. For the first time in American history, the First Amendment was not only about the prohibition of establishing a national religion, it was also about not giving any encouragement to any religion. The modern strict separation view was born. And where did the five justices look for support for their argument? Not the Constitution, because there was nothing in the Constitution to help them, but to that one phrase Thomas Jefferson wrote back in 1802. How ironic that the author of the Declaration of Independence, which recognizes the proposition that human beings have inalienable rights from their creator and not from government, was now being used to separate religion from the public square. For Jefferson and the other founders, religion was central to the entire American project. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are just two of countless examples where the government acknowledges its debt to God. As the famously liberal Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas wrote in the case of Zorak versus Clausen just five years after the Everson decision, we are a religious people whose institutions presuppose a supreme being. The founders would certainly have agreed. Following Everson, the nation's moral infrastructure began to crack, at first slowly and then more rapidly. In 1962, the Supreme Court struck another blow. It ruled in Engel versus Vitale that a generic school prayer violated the court's new definition of the First Amendment. Listen to the words of that school prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Amen. The prayer was not specific to Christianity or to any religion. Since then, the separation of church and state metaphor has been used to remove God and religion piece by piece from American public life. Are we a better society for it? It's hard to argue that we are. Almost every cultural and ethical indicator, marriage rates, birth rates, the number of Americans giving to charity, has declined since God and religion have faded from American life. Meanwhile, children without fathers in their lives, behavioral problems in schools, and crime have gone up dramatically, and all because of one vote in one court case based on one sentence in one letter. On such things do nations and history turn. I'm John Eastman, professor of law at Chapman University and a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute for Prager University. This if you don't tell me that Christians should be engaged in politics, this is why, because that kind of stuff can happen. Um, we are in a monumental point in our country's history, and, uh, and we believe at Awaken Church that God has actually not called the church to step back from politics, but he's actually called us to step up and engage it. Because the reality is if the church isn't involved in shaping the culture that we live in, the policies, the education, healthcare, economics, who's going to stand for God? Who's going to stand for her, his will, his word, his way, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth in Salt Lake City as it is in heaven? Because I guarantee you, most people that are outside of the church will not do that. We believe that we are meant to be educated and engaged in culture, not because we um, you know, we hope in and we place our hope in 
government. We don't place our hope in government. We place our hope in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and no election's going to change that. I promise you that. So we're not here to tell you that everything is riding on this. It's not. Jesus is bigger than that. But it's a lack of stewardship on our behalf if we don't engage. And I'm going to talk about that here in a second because I know that's very popular. But it's our responsibility to stand in the gap. So I was reading this article, and this is a wonderful article. I I would honestly encourage you all, if you take your notes out or if you're taking notes, you're going to heaven. It's great. Um, It's a joke. It's a joke. Wow. Wow. Lighten up. Uh, but take this, take this down. Take this down. I was reading this, and it was blowing my mind. It's a 47-page essay. Um, I think it's only 30 pages that you would actually read, uh, but because the, la- the rest is like we're excited and stuff. Um, but it's called "From Biblical Principles." It's called "Biblical Principles for Political Engagement: Worldview Issues and Voting" by David Kloss. And you can just look this guy up, David, and then C L O S S O N. C L O S S O N. Um, he is from the family practice. Like he, it's, it's something in D.C. It's, it's pretty fantastic. Um, but I have some quotes that I'm going to read about our engagement, why we should engage um, in politics as Christians. So he says, because voting is a matter of stewardship, Christians living in a democratic republic should seek to vote in a way that honors God and advances the well-being of their neighbor. I don't think anybody would disagree that those are two priorities of ours. Christians are stewards of the ballot box, just like we are stewards of everything else God has given us. I read that. That was a little convicting. Uh, The question he asked was, can Christians really care for their neighbors well if they are not engaging in politics, the arena where a society's basic rights and freedoms are shaped? It's a good question. Obviously, we believe there is no perfect candidate. And if there was, we probably wouldn't vote for him. Uh, Why do I say that? Oh, we crucified Jesus Christ, the perfect one. We didn't elect him into office. We didn't say that he was king. We crucified him. So who's to say that if a perfect person came along, and that's what a lot of believers are waiting for. They're waiting for someone perfect to come along to step in and vote. Well, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to happen. And if it did, you put him on a cross. Whoa, I know, I know. I'd probably just, like, just reality. Uh, we just have to know that. And so we're not picking the perfect person. That's not going to happen. We are actually picking the lesser of two evils in the sense of a person because we're all fallen. We're all, we are all fallen short. I don't think anybody in here would say that they're perfect. And so I can guarantee you no politician is going to be. And if they look perfect, you know there's probably an issue there. Satan comes disguised as light. Just a thought. So the title of this message is Who's Right? Or who's righteous? Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad they did it that way. That was awesome. So I believe that God looks at rulers of government um, a little bit differently than we do. And I can prove that through the Old Testament. You see, I was reading through the Old Testament because I was doing my daily Bible plan right, which is a good thing. If you don't have like a daily reading plan or you're not engaging in the word daily, I would highly recommend it. And, uh, and one of the things I found was in the Old Testament, after I got through Leviticus, praise God, I didn't know if I was going to get through it. But I did this year, and I feel really, really excited about that. Um, but I did grow up Jewish, so I, I had a little bit of reference there. So I felt like I might have I skipped some parts, Pastor Vince, because I was like, oh, I know that. You know, I know. I don't need to read it again. Um, but I made it through, and I made it all the way to Chronicles, right? Wow, some of y'all, yeah, ex- Chronicles is exciting. It basically chronicles uh, the story of the kings in the Old Testament. And, uh, and God actually told Israel, he's like, you don't actually want a king. You don't, you don't want a king. They're like, no, we want a king. He's like, okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. And it was all this kind of stuff that was going to happen, and it happened. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed every single time, it's hard to miss if you go back and read it. Every time um, 
the chapter starts with a new king. So there were 38 kings in that time period, 38 kings. Uh, five were good, 38, 33 were evil. Five were good, 33 were evil, and that's in God's sight. So how it starts is, and this person was born of this person, and they did good in the sight of the Lord. Or this person was born of this person, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. One thing I thought was kind of funny was every time they mentioned a good king, they mentioned who his mom was. I don't know. I think there's something there, y'all. I think there's something there that they said, there's something here. Uh, Go back and look. I'm not making this stuff up, people. Um, But five good kings, 33 evil. Five good, 33 evil. And every time it was very simple. They either did good in the sight of the Lord or they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, one author puts it like this. He says, if we were judging like who was good, who was evil, if we were like looking at their lives and, and, and their reigns and all this kind of stuff, think of today's modern, you know, politicians, we'd use all sorts of algorithms to determine was, you know, the country at peace or were they at war? Did they expand their territories or did they retract? Um, How was personal wealth? Did it increase or did it decrease? Was crime up? Was it crime down? You can put in anything you want there. But God uses one metric and only one metric. He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Only one thing made them a good king. They feared the Lord, and the same was true for the measure of an evil king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So I know you and I, you and I got all kinds of filters, all kinds of ways that look in these politicians, all kinds of ways that look in these elections, but I think we just need to get heaven's perspective. Either they do good in the sight of the Lord, or they do evil in the sight of the Lord, and it is that simple. Because I, w- I would say that all of us in here would, would, would agree that we just want to get in alignment with what God's saying. Well, God, who are you voting for? Well, God's not voting. He said, you go vote. Um, but who would he say and who will he say when he gets to judge at the end of times? Who did good or who did evil? I think he makes it pretty simple. So the first point, I've only got two. I've got real quick ones, is to see and vote from heaven's perspectives. See and vote from heaven's perspective. You see, as believers, we must recognize that God's law and his design for our lives Families, communities, cities, and nations are better than our way of manufacturing it. And then all we have to do is align our values and our voting to his ways of doing things. John 14, 6 says this. It makes it really simple. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, whether you're a believer or not, there is not your truth. There is your opinion. There is one truth. So my opinion doesn't matter. Yours doesn't matter. It's what his says. What he, his truth says is the only thing that matters. And currently, we have this two-party political system, right? And one is pretty obvious. If, if, if we're really looking at it, if you've done any form of research, one holds a lot more closely to God's values, God's standards, God's truth than the other does right now. But if there ever comes a time when it's not that way, that's our part to actually do our research and find out what God is saying. Um, now, here are some key issues. Now, I'm, I'm going to get a little practical here, um, but I promise it's going to be good, okay? Uh, and I know that most of you, this isn't really for you. This is for other people, which is great. Um, but the important thing is that not only do we know what we're doing here and we're educated, but we actually go and have conversations with people. We can't shy back. We've got to actually step up into society into culture. And so some key issues that we should be aware of and know how these platforms are voting, and this is city, state, local, um, government, national, the whole thing, is moral implications, because that's obviously what matters to us as believers. Abortion, marriage, race, and poverty alleviation. 
abortion and marriage, it's very easy to see which side's which, and I'll talk about that in a second. But with uh, race and poverty alleviation, the Bible talks about that we should care about these things, right? We should care about these things. We should do something about these, but it doesn't say how we should do these things. And so it's very important for us to not look at what we typically think each party would do or represent or fulfill in terms of those two things, but we actually need to get inside and see how are they taking action? What are they doing to care for the people that are being oppressed? Because the reality is sometimes the way the media paints it ain't true. And, uh, and I think we all know that by this time in 2020. If you don't, it's your, it's your news today. Uh, okay, so real quick, abortion and marriage and sexuality. Here's a quote from this article I was talking about. You can read the whole thing. It'll help you. When it comes to the issues of abortion and marriage and sexuality today, the Republican and Democratic National Party positions fundamentally disagree. Concerning marriage, the 2016 Republican, Republican Party platform states, traditional marriage and family based on marriage between one man and one woman is the foundation for a free society and has for millennia been entrusted with rearing children and instilling culture values. Yay, we all agree with that. That's biblical. The 2016 Democratic Party platform states that Democrats applaud the decision by the Supreme Court that recognized LGBT people, like other Americans, have the right to marry the person they love. Now, do we love people who don't, live in alignment with what we think? Of course. But do we want to hold the standard of our nation to something that God will bless? Of course. And so that's our response. On abortion, Democrats have moved away from their former position that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Former position. The party now considers abortion to be a fundamental right that should be funded by the government. How many know we can't get behind that? Whereas their platform in 1992 included the language, the goal of our nation must be to make abortion less necessary. The 2016 platform stated we will continue to oppose, seek to overturn federal and state laws and policies that impede a woman's access to abortion, including by repealing the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment, just to educate us, first passed in 1976. Wow, I gotta get moving, don't I? Prohibits the use of federal funds to pay for abortion. The 2016 Democratic platform included the first explicit appeal from a major political party to repeal this provision. Four years later, every Democrat who ran for president, including the eventual nominee, publicly backed repealing the Hyde Amendment. Now, like I said, maybe you're saying, well, I don't feel at home in either political party. Well, you shouldn't. Your home's not here. Heaven is your home. But should you be equally comfortable as a believer in both parties? No. There's a difference between what we tolerate and what we will say we're gonna celebrate and be about and make it our home. I'm not telling you that our home is in either one, but am I telling you that you should be equally comfortable in both? I'm not. And here's the truth. If you stay silent, if you shrink back, you are participating because you're taking a stand for whatever the status quo is. When Hitler was doing what he was doing and killing six million Jews plus in his genocide, and I'm Jewish, so I know the whole background, I know the whole story, there are, were plenty of churches who stayed silent because they didn't want to get political. They didn't want to get engaged. They didn't, and, and the reality is all the truth wasn't out yet. Obviously, hindsight is 2020. But when you don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, sometimes you just got to stand for what you know and for what you know is truth. And there were churches that spoke up. There were churches that stood up. And I don't want to be the church. And I know Pastor Jurgen Leanne, I know Pastor Vince and Becca don't want to be the church. And in 2020, we shrunk back because we didn't have all the answers. We didn't want to be the church that shrunk back because we didn't have a perfect person to vote for. But I'm telling you that God will look and he will judge our stewardship. And I want to be doing right in the sight of the Lord. 
I grew up, and you, you could probably say, Alex, this is probably easy for you. You probably, you know, you're a pastor. You grew up, you know. I actually grew up not saved, very much heathen, very off the rails, off the rocker, drugs, alcohol, like the whole thing. I got saved five and a half years ago. But I grew up liberal. I grew up very much the other way on all these beliefs that God has. Because I believed, well, progressivism, right? Like we, we just grow, we do better. The more we know, 2,000 years later, we probably know more than we did before then. You know, we're allowing people to make their own choices. Yeah, that's free will. But when you move away from the standard that God set, at the end of the day, that's not his will. And so what I found was that while conservatism might sound restricting, it's actually very liberating because when you get in alignment with God's way of doing things in any area of your life, freedom will come, peace will come, joy will come, restoration will come. The Bible says that there is a way that sounds right to a man but its way actually ends in death. Narrow is the gate. I know it might look narrow, and I know the other way might look appealing, it might look pleasing, it might look right, but there's a difference between what looks right and what God says is right. And the second point as we close, and the reality is God isn't changing his mind, and so neither should we. There is a truth, there is a way, and there is a life, and it's our responsibility to stand in that gap. But the second thing we need to know how to do is that God is in control. God is able to do no matter what circumstances here on this earth happen. Now we have a stewardship and we have authority, but he's bigger than all. We don't have full control over who gets elected or what happens, but we must trust God with the outcome. We must trust God with our lives because our hope is in him. Just like any area of our lives, we exercise our authority, our stewardship, but ultimately we trust in him. I love this quote by John Wesley. He said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. In other words, I don't fix my eyes on things of this earth. I fix my eyes on heavenly things. I know that this life, I was not promised perfect uh, perfect conditions. I wasn't promised safety. I didn't, I didn't join Christianity. I didn't join a religion. I joined to a person of Jesus Christ who said, no matter what you walk through, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Jesus promised persecution. He promised we would be the minority. He promised that the way we think would be opposed. So if we're in alignment with the mob, that'll tell you one thing, we're way off track. All greats were deemed crazy in their time. And then it was once they died that people saw, wow, they were actually right on point. But I wanna, I wanna read some verses of encouragement because I, I do believe that people have been constricted, people have been tormented, people have felt just this, ugh, this whole year. And it'll happen every four years, likely. But God says that we can have peace beyond understanding. God says we can have rest because he prepares a table before us in the middle of our enemies. So I'm gonna read a few verses, Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor anything other thing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 118, verse six says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord our God is with you wherever you go, whatever you do. Matthew 11.28-30. I'm going to wrap here. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you just need to take a deep breath right now because you feel heavy. This felt heavy. 
but God wants to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, throughout the Bible, there were people who were persecuted. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They lived in a time when Christianity was very much the minority. And if you did not bow your knee to the idols of that day, you would be persecuted, you would be executed. And they said, I'm not bowing my knee. Just like we're saying today, we're not bowing our knee to culture. We're not bowing. The only knee that we are bowing to is the name of Jesus Christ. But guess what? God honored them. He saved them. He protected them. He was for them. And I don't know about you and me, but standing for Jesus and his truth may not be popular here on earth, but how you honor God here will dictate how he honors us in eternity, which is a lot longer of a time than here on earth. I want everybody to, if you could just close your eyes just for a moment. I want to pray for, for some people here, a couple different types of people. The first type of person, you're here saying, wow, that was, that was crazy. Uh, I don't even know who this Jesus is. I don't even have a relationship with God. I don't even know what are you guys talking about. This is crazy. Um, you're like I was five and a half years ago when I walked into the church in San Diego, the same church in San Diego. I did not know who Jesus was, but I knew that I needed a relationship with him. I knew that I, could, I couldn't do this on my own anymore. I needed a savior. I needed someone who would come and teach me how to live. And that's what Jesus wants to do. Friend, Jesus Christ is literally God. He came to die on a cross. He came to replace your sin, your struggle, your dysfunction, and he came to bring you life and life in eternity and life abundantly. But it means losing your own life. So maybe you're saying today, I want, I want you to pray for me. I need, to, I need to know this Jesus. I want to invite this Jesus into my heart. Or maybe you're saying, you know, Pastor, I, I once walked with God. I was with God. I was in relationship, but I just feel like I, I'm not close to him anymore. I haven't, I haven't engaged with him. I feel like I need to come back to God. Friend, tonight's your opportunity. Today's your opportunity to come back to Jesus. So on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand. If you're one of those people, if you're just saying, I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to start a relationship with God or I need to restart my relationship with God, I just want you to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for on the count of three. One, friend, God loves you. Two, I promise you'll never be the same. Three, if you could just lift your hand wherever you're at. You just lift your hand. If there's anyone here. Incredible. I see your hand. Beautiful. Incredible. I see your hand, sir, in the front row. A couple front rows. Beautiful. I'm just going to give 10 more seconds because someone gave me 15 seconds five years ago. And it changed my life. Is there anyone else? Just one more? So just one more. Beautiful. I see your hand here over on the left. Incredible. Incredible. Well, you can open your eyes, church. Why don't you stand up? Uh, I just want you to, if, if you prayed this or if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We're gonna invite Jesus Christ, the Lord, the living God to come on the inside of you and he's gonna radically change your life. And we're all gonna say this together and then I wanna pray one last prayer over everybody. So everyone follow me. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving my life. Thank you for going to the cross, for dying for me, and for resurrecting into new life. I turn away from my sin and I receive your gift of everlasting salvation. I leave my old life behind and I step into all that's new. I declare the rest of my life will be the best of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, why don't we celebrate why don't we celebrate? There were three or four people who raised their hands, who gave their life to Jesus.
I know that God is moving. God is doing something in Salt Lake City. Why don't everybody just raise your hands? Just everybody lift your hands. I want to pray a blessing over you. Then we're, we're going to dismiss after I pray. Um, but I, there are some people, and you're here today, you're, you're weary, you're tired, you're burdened by this year. You're burdened by what's happening. You're saying, I don't know if I can take it. God has given you strength. If he is with us, who or what could be against us? I want you to think about those verses I read because God has called you to be bold. God has called us to be strong. God has called us to be of good courage, not to back up, but to step up into culture. So Father, I thank you for every single hand lifted. Father, you would put courage in the heart of your sons and your daughters that they would not shrink back, but they would step up because we are not called to just live life on this earth as passive, but to be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we declare your protection, your blessing, your breakthrough in Jesus' name over their lives. And Father, for everyone burdened, I thank you that as they exchange their burden for your grace, Father, that they would feel right now, even right now, the peace of God, which is beyond understanding, to flow in and through their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.